Hello and welcome to episode 196 of the Enough Podcast. My name is Mike Hurley and I am joined as always today by my colleague and friend, Mr. Patrick Rohn. Hi there. How you doing? Hey there, sir. How are I, you? I said hi there and hi sir in once and it come out hi there. So, hi there. Hi there. Hi there. Hi there. So how, how you doing? <laughs> you okay? It's delicious crop. Um... Yeah, I'm doing okay. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Very well indeed. <laughs> we, we've got uh, Mr. Harry Marks on the show with us right now. Hi, Harry. Hi, how are you? Okay. We know Harry from CuriousRat.com, where he is a curious rat. Um, I am. No, no. He, he writes about all sorts of stuff. A, little, a, lot, of, a lot around technology, I would say, right? Uh, it started originally as, as mainly a technology commentary blog, but I've branched out into publishing and other topics as I've yeah. grown and matured, yeah. or immatured. Yeah. Well, and, and why why the rat? Why the thing with rats? You're you're into rats. You I like am. Rats. Well, I'm a. I've been a rat owner for many years. Um, I've got. I'm on my eleventh now. Um, not not. You know, simultaneously, we have we've had over the years a total of eleven rats. We're down to one right now. Um, but I originally started the uh, I bought the domain name Curious Rat, intending to start it as a development company and that uh, for iOS apps. And I was working with a couple of friends on something, and then I realized I'm not a very good coder. So <laughs> I I just sat on the domain name for a while, and then. You know, I, I, I'm a big fan of blogs like The Loop and Daring Fireball, and I was like, well, these guys can do it, and I've got things to say, and there's a lot of stupid technology punditry out there, so I'll throw my hat into the ring, and then I, yeah. I started the whole thing. Yeah, I mean, that's the beautiful thing, right, is that, you know, there's uh, always room for, a, uh, for an opinion and perspective, as long as it's a fresh one, and, you know, you, you bring it fresh and, and make it work, so that's great. Thank you. Um, and, and so, did this start with like uh, an early like uh, like most of us were absolutely terrified by Ben as children? You actually loved it. Is this what it comes down to, basically? Yeah, I I have a, <laughs> I have a very high affinity for for animals of almost all types. I think snakes and anything that stings or bites is you know not not on high on my list. But uh, if it's fluffy and cute, I love it. And uh, yeah, I just I, I absolutely love rats. I, I think people give them a bad rap. They're incredibly <laughs> intelligent. They're very much like dogs in terms of personality and loyalty. Uh, so yeah, they're they're great. People should very should really give them a chance. They're they're not creepy or terrifying as the movies would have you believe. There you go. There you go. So um, one of the reasons I actually wanted to have you on one of the many because like I've I've gotten to know you fairly recently online. You know. Because of app.net largely, and uh, you know, certainly feel like I've got a you know, uh, like we have a lot in common, and share a lot of the same views and and things like that. And so, um, I've I've really come to respect your work and and, uh, and what you're doing. But uh, certainly, one of the things I'm insanely jealous about, by the way, um, mm-hmm. and and I've expressed as much. So this. Sh- doesn't come as any surprise to you is um so you got this typewriter this beautiful typewriter to write a book you're writing a book right now yes i'm i'm in the middle of uh my second novel um it's 
I guess the genre would be literary fiction is what the, the agents and the publishers call it. Uh, basically just uh, everyday life kind of thing. But I, I, I like to consider myself a Luddite in training because uh, I, I sold my original <laughs> iPad because by the time it hit iOS 5, it, was, it might as well have been an, an obsolete relic. Um, I sold it for 200 bucks and put that towards a Smith Corona typewriter from the late 50s. I work in Midtown Manhattan, and right across from the Flatiron Building is this tiny hole-in-the-wall shop. They're actually a printer repair shop, but they also do, on the side, refurbishments and repairs of typewriters. And I walked oh, in, and they had, yeah, they had like old 1918 Underwoods that worked just like new. And I walked in, and I was testing a whole bunch of them, and this one just had the perfect action. And I said, I'm going to be back for this. And so I, I sold my iPad, and I brought the typewriter home. And um, I'm, For this book, since I was in the middle of it already, I've sort of been bouncing around a whole bunch of different ways of writing. So I'll, write, I'll handwrite some of it, I'll do some of it um, on my computer, and then I'll do some of it on the typewriter. For my third book, I've decided the entire first draft is going to be done on the typewriter. Wow, that's great. That's really great. And, I mean, so, you know, speaking about publishing, I mean, this is something that uh, I find curious. So, I mean, it, it's not, you know, when you're thinking about, okay, self-publishing, these sorts of things, um, yeah, one of the reasons why you might choose an electronic mean, medium to do it is that it makes it so much quicker and easier to take that thing and turn it into a book. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. At least turn it into an ebook that you put out there for sale or whatnot. Um, I mean, do traditional publishers these days, uh, will they still take a, a typed manuscript like they did, I don't know, uh, 10 years ago and before? <laughs> no, they almost none of them do. There may be one or two. Um, it will, because it, the way I'm doing it, I'm not doing self published, I'm, I'm yeah, going through yeah. the agency model and then hopefully the agent sells it to the publisher um so with the agents most of them almost all of them take e-submissions so usually you send a query letter maybe the first five ten pages embedded in an email not done as an attachment and then if they ask for more you send a word document um there's always got to be a Word document. can't be anything but a Word document. Unfortunately, and it, it drives me up a wall because Scrivener is such a fantastic application. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they do not they, – everything is done in Word document form. Edits, um, mm-hmm. submissions, all that stuff is done as Word documents. So mm-hmm. what I've done is with the pages that I handwrite or I type on the typewriter – Instead of scanning them in and using OCR, I'll actually retype them. And what that allows me to do is it allows me to reread what I've written and basically mm. edit on the fly. Mm. So that, yeah, so because what happens is with the typewriter, I want it to slow everything down. I find that the computer, it's full of distractions. It's, it's very quick. And, you know, it's great that I can get things in my mind out as fast as possible. But I tend to miss things when I do that. And I know people tell me all the time, well, you can turn notifications off and you can get off the Internet. And it, it's, it doesn't matter. The, knowing that there's other stuff around there, just it floods the mind. It clutters the mind. And, and I can't think that way. The mm-hmm. typewriter allows me to slow down because you can't really use home row configuration with your fingers. There's not enough leverage in my pinky or my ring finger to actually press the key down. So I mm-hmm. type. I basically hunt and peck, but I know where all the keys are, so I'm pretty 
proficient on it. But I yeah. do get to slow down and I sort of self-edit in my mind as I'm going because I know that the ink is permanent. And unless I cross it out or, or white it out, there's really no going back. Um, and then what I do is I take the finished pages after I've fin- completed a chapter and I retype them in Scrivener. Wow. Okay. I mean, and I, I see the benefit of that, but a lot of people would look at that and say, wow, that's just a lot of work. That's a lot of additional work, you know, and that you have to type it twice. And I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that I see it that way at all because I don't. And I think that that's, uh, I think, one of the reasons why I prefer to use pen and paper for a lot of things is for that extra um you, for all of the reasons you said, it helps to slow you down. It helps you be a, a bit more thoughtful about what you're putting down on that page. And more importantly, when you do go to transcribe that into an electronic format, you get a second pass at it that you not only normally wouldn't otherwise take, but also that um, because it's different, um, you catch things that you wouldn't otherwise if you were, say, just rewriting it or, uh, in your case, retyping it into a typewriter. I mean, you know what I mean? It's like, for whatever reason, it's a similar, similar thing with me where I can type something up in a text editor, read through it a dozen times, um, and it'll be fine. And then not until I go post it to the blog and publish it do I catch that one little typo that I kept reading past because my eyes just couldn't see it because it was in that particular medium. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. It, I, I, I get that all the time. I get that with the stuff I publish on my blog. I'll, I'll type it in Markdown Pro or Text Wrangler, and I'll read through it a dozen times, and I don't see anything wrong with it. I'll throw it up on the website, and within a second, I'll see, ah, I should have changed that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and you know, and I think that that's. Off, I think a lot of things are like that. That there's a lot of things that we need to be mindful of. Either a you know stepping away from for a while and coming back to and seeing it from you know in in a different light, um, but even more so if it's things that we can take and put into a different context, we oftentimes will see things that we didn't notice before. Right, I think I, I think this is true of a lot of things outside of writing. You know that that uh, you know I you know if if you really want to see uh, kind of the holes in your in your logic behind a product that you've designed, you know, give it to someone who's completely unfamiliar with it and see how easily they pick it up. Right, I mean this oh. is. You know, one of the reasons why we ended up with the one-button mouse on a, on a Mac is because Apple put a lot of thought. It's not just because Apple, because Steve Jobs was like, you know, screw them, one button is all they need, you know. Right. It's, it's because they sat people down with prototypes of, of mice and, you know, ordinary people off the street, you know, from focus groups that, you know, put a camera on them and then, you know, handed them this thing and said, okay, we want you to move this around on the computer, you know, or move, move this thing around on the screen using this device. And they weren't sure what button to press. They weren't sure what, you know what I mean? Oh you know, yeah. And, it, and, and to take this back to the, the self-publishing conundrum, I've, I've refused to self-publish. Um, I, I, 
I wrote a post about it for uh, an article for the magazine about it, um, and then I ended up republishing it on my blog a month later. Uh, but with self-publishing, I feel like we're in an era of cutting corners. I mean, self-publishing has always existed, but it's always been sort of, they call it vanity print. So if you could afford it, you'd print a dozen copies for your friends and family of a book you wrote, but they would be physically printed. They would be on paper. And there are still companies that do that, but with Amazon and the Kindle and the, and the Nook at Barnes & Noble, we're in this new renaissance where anybody can publish, and I just don't think anybody should publish. And hmm. part of the problem there is that it's become a very isolated experience. You write your story, you may go through it once or twice after you've written it, but you're not going to pay for the, the editor to look through it and really analyze the story structure or the copywriting. You're not going to pay for the, the, um, the cover designer to, to do you justice for what you've written. You're not going to pay for the formatter to, to go through and make it look as good as possible as it's going to look on a Kindle. There are people who do that, and they take it very seriously, and I applaud yes. them. That's me, by the way. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I, I have a copy. Of, I, be, I believe I have a copy of Enough um, that you were kind enough to send me. But And it looks gorgeous. But there are people out there who don't do that. They don't take yeah. the time or spend the money. And I f still feel that there's a stigma where, you know, someone asks you what you do. Oh, I'm a writer. Oh, well, where are you published? Oh, I'm self-published. It just, for me personally... It just doesn't sound right. I need to have. I. It's. This sounds horrible and and very self-centered, but I need that validation <laughs> that you know I'm published. An agent took a chance on me, and then a publisher took a chance on me, and they found my story good enough to spend money on and publish and market and put on shelves. Yeah. Well, and yeah, I think that this can go a lot of ways, right? I don't think it's an either-or situation, right? I mean, in my case. You know, I I think it's a chance for new models of how this stuff works to develop so that you have it, those two extremes and everything in between, right? Um, and, you know, you have a plethora of choice based upon what works for you and kind of what you want your end result to be. And I agree with you to a certain extent that, uh, you know, just because everyone can do it doesn't mean everyone should. Um, but, I mean, I don't you think that, that uh, you know the market will will you know, well okay uh, two two things I could say about that number one I think that that the marketplace will help to to rise the stuff that's worth it to kind of to the top rise rise the cream to the top in a self publishing world in that idea but but then of course you could counter that with but then there's Fifty Shades of Grey. That's exactly right? what I was going to say. I know that's exactly what you're going to say, right? But on the same account, yes. I, I mean, the, there are those cases where really it is, um, yeah, I'm poorly written smut, right? And when you get right down to it, right, for, for, for you know, largely for people who are, you know, for whatever reason, too ashamed or too prim and proper to walk into, um, you know, just about any uh, bookstore in their neighborhood and buy really well-written spot, right? Um, but, um, you know, I, I think that uh, that there will always be those cases where that is not true, just as there's a ton of crappy writing that is put out by the publishers themselves, right? Or, of course. you know, 
you know, how many chicken soups for the X does the world need? How many dummies for X does the world need, right? You know, where you have these things where... Yeah, I mean, but you get what I'm saying, right? Yeah, and, and in terms of the publishing industry, that stuff, I read an article recently that basically said uh, Fifty Shades of Grey saved the publishing industry because it was it sold a million copies a month or, or whatever it was. I mean, it, it was just single-handedly the biggest seller that the publishing industry had seen in years. And that book pays for the good stuff that may not get read nearly as widely. They're, they're the Paris Wife, Shine, Shine, Shine. These are great books, uh, Beautiful Ruins, that have come out and, and they get some notoriety if you listen to NPR or you see the interviews on The Daily Show or whatever. But other than that, they're not going to get much of a readership. And it's because you know the, either the marketing isn't as good or um, the money's just not flowing there or people just don't feel like reading literary fiction they they want the 50 shades but it's those books that pay for the stuff that's worth reading well and you know i would argue that there's even a place for those that are interested in the one thing for the other for instance my wife perfect example so my wife is a voracious reader she reads three books a week or so i'm not joking about this she's an extremely fast reader and she reads a lot um and because of that uh, I mean, there's just really not enough great books to feed her addiction. You know what I mean? Right. right. <laughs> um, you know, and she's perfectly happy occasionally running into some crap. I mean, she's one of those people that will, you know, uh, she'll, she'll commit to it and, you know, and read it and say, okay, I didn't enjoy that. I'll move on to the next thing and hopefully I'll enjoy that more. And, so, and there are some things. There's, uh, you know, there's like uh, some young adult series that takes place in a private school and it's basically all these snobby private kids i don't know i i i just i have no but but she's like you know she's read this entire series right and completely out of her demographic completely like fluff you know something that is not feeding her of course she reads she she reads it for fun Right, because that's kind of her break from the really good stuff. Sometimes right. you need a break from the good stuff. Absolutely, I have I have no problem. Citizen Kane is one of my favorite films, but I have no qualms about walking into the latest Die Hard movie. There's nothing wrong with turning your brain off for a while and reading fluff. I read Dan Brown. I find his stories fantastic in the sense of they are fantastical and they keep me on the edge of my seat and I need to see, you know, I need to read what's next. Do I think they're terribly good stories or, or well-written? Not really, but mm-hmm. I enjoy them. They're, they're dumb fun. And mm-hmm. there's nothing wrong with that. There, there will always be an audience for stuff like Fifty Shades or, um, or, or Hunger Games or Harry Potter or any of the, you know, this, yeah. and Harry Potter's a great series to begin with. I've never read them. I watched the movies, but I, I've read Rowling's uh, you know, a little bit of them, and and I've read Rowling's style, and she's excellent. But yeah. the, there will always be an audience for fluff. There will always be a need for fluff. You know, not everything needs to be Arthur Conan Doyle or a, a, any of the the classics. I mean, that's gotcha. Well, then, so I'm gonna I'm gonna let us stop there because we we're gonna need to get uh, to our sponsor here, but. Now that you've admitted that, I'm going to come back around and I'm going to destroy <laughs> your self-publishing argument. Okay, so we need to talk about our sponsor. 
<laughs> Michael, who do we got? So this is where I come back in. I am still this here. Back in. Yeah, yeah, I know you're still here. I'd love for you to jump in at any time, by the way. No, no, no I, I'm enjoying listening to this. I could never write a book, so I have no basis to, of which to add too much opinion on this. But I'm enjoying it. I always, it always makes me laugh when we do, when we do these sorts of episodes, because it sounds like, no matter how much we try and make it not, it sounds like this is pre-recorded, me doing this bit right here. But I promise you, listeners, I am actually here right yeah, now with here. these guys. It I just, always thought you pumped this stuff in after you recorded. Nope, always live. Wow. Always live, always do the live read. And now, Harry, you get to experience one of these live reads. I'm honored. <laughs> so you, you are in the, the, the very few. So our sponsor for this week is the fine folks over at squarespace.com who give you everything you need to make an amazing website. Squarespace provide you with a fully hosted, completely managed environment for creating and maintaining a beautiful website, blog, portfolio, business site, online shop, no matter what you want to create. On the internet, they give you the tools that you need. It doesn't matter how experienced you are when it comes to putting something online. They, they can allow you to do it in mere minutes. They take care of everything. They take care of the design with their beautiful templates that feature responsive web design. They're very clean, very clear, and they let your content do all of the talking. They have a drag-and-drop page building system called layout engine that allows you to create custom layouts for your pages in seconds they have fantastic statistics that are built right into squarespace and you can view these from your ios and android app which also lets you post to on the go and manage your site on the go as well you can import your current content from your current blog into Squarespace very easily. And you can mm-hmm. set up sharing and syncing with your social media accounts too. And don't forget Squarespace Commerce, which is Squarespace's brand new feature that allows you to integrate a fully featured store into your website. And you can instantly start accepting payments and they partner with Stripe to allow you to do this. And you can sell physical or digital goods immediately. They have fantastic inventory management, order processing. You can print off packing slips, customize emails, set up... Um, if you have digital goods, you can set up sort of uh, email notifications with download links and, and have expiry dates. You can set up coupons and everything. It's really, really very, very powerful Squarespace. And I want you to try it out. Go to squarespace.com forward slash 70 decibels where you can start your free trial. Squarespace plans start at $10 a month. And if you use the code 70 decibels for, as we are now in April, you will receive 10% off your first order at Squarespace. So go check out Squarespace, everything you need to make an amazing website. So remember last week I was telling you that uh, I was moving a, a client over to Squarespace. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were moving their website. Um, well, that's, that's live now. I just sent you the uh, link. It's uh, Magna. Uh, M-A-G-N-A USA dot com and I mean folks can go there take a look and uh, they are a uh, uh, health and fitness uh, local health and fitness uh, company um, concierge uh, you know personal trainers uh, acupuncture chiropractic massage um, uh, they're they're Really great. It's a great looking website. Mm-hmm. Super simple to move them on in from from uh, from their existing site. I mean, really, it was. I, I was I was floored by how quick it was. It does look very like, good, Patrick. Well done. Just just absolutely floored. I didn't do the design. Um, they hired someone else to do the uh, to do the design. Um, but uh, you know, I I moved their blog content. Um, you know, we did the redirect. I mean, so 
so simple. I mean, I, I quoted them. You know, I quoted them like five hours, figuring that you know the moving of the content, you know, images would break and you know things would get broken. I'd have to clean it up and this, that, and the other. It took under an hour. Like no kidding, it like was no time. <laughs> so, I mean, for the for the actual move of the stuff, I mean, like we had other things that took some time, but you know, uh, certainly I didn't spend the time where I thought I was going to spend the time, and I came in with less time than I originally thought I was going to spend on this, and I mean, just because it made it so easy. So, you know, there you go, personal testimonial in a real world situation, and they use the uh, they use the code to get their discount. So, Ooh. boom. Thank you. No, but, no problem. So you guys can get back to your conversation now. Yeah, so... Bring it so just, <laughs> All right, so, you, so you've just said that about about publishing and how, you know, there's there's room for even the fluff and the bad stuff and, the you know, that, that with traditional publishing you get all that. Mm-hmm. Where's, the, where's your issue with, with self-publishing? How does that stand up? Because that sounds like a straw man to me. My well, what do you mean? My my issue with well, self-publishing. Well, you 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 said that you have kind of a bias against self-publishing for much of the same reasons that you just admitted publishing. My my bias against self-publishing is twofold. Um, yes, there is fluff in the regular regular publishing world. The thing about and the regular the, written the, fluff. The, yes, the, the written fluff, the, the traditional publishing world. But with traditional publishing, the publishing house hires editors who go through your book. They're trying to make your book the best it can be. And they don't just look at the copy, but they, the agent typically is the, the first line of defense. They read through the story. They, they latch onto a story they absolutely love or the, uh, an author they absolutely love. And they read through it and they, they pick it apart and they make it, they send it back to you riddled with red pen. And they, they do everything they can to make it as good as possible before they pitch it to a publisher. And then the publisher takes it, they run it through their editing process. And the same thing, um, but not to a, to a degree. I think it used to be that way, but mostly the agents handle it now. Um, but Everyone is working for you, not because you're paying them, but because the success of your book pays their paychecks. When you look at self-publishing, I think because it's so easy, there is a lot of, and a lot more of, I don't want to say garbage, but I want to say rush jobs. People who wrote a story, they might have gone through it once, and they said, all right, I'm going to throw it up on the, the Amazon store and and toss my hat into the ring and, and take my chances. And that's where my problem is because then they'll turn around and call themselves authors and technically they are, but they didn't put the work into it. And I, I feel like self-publishing still has that stigma. Like you're, you're not going the extra mile. Yeah. I mean, understood, but I think it also pre- prevent, presents the opportunity for those who, you know, there's this, you know, the whole self-publishing thing. Well, self-publishing can encompass a lot of things. It opens up the door for designers, book designers, and 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 uh, book layout folks to to come in and offer their services. Um, you know, basically hang up their their shingle for for these for, sorts of folks. Um, 
the for editors to do the same, right? Independent editors to hang up their shingle and invite these folks in, um, and that sort of thing. And don't you think that just like you know, just like there's Penguin, and then there's you know, you know, Freebird Heart Press, you know, <laughs> someone's basement, you know, right. uh, in the in the in in the regular publishing world. Um, the, you're going to have the same thing, right? Where- well, not not to the same level because the the editors you pay independently, they're working for whatever you're paying them. The editors you get from an agency or a publishing house, completely different. Mo- primarily, from what I've seen, editor independent editors are great copy editors, but you may not get the same level of detail for the way your story is structured, or um, you know uh, the they'll read through a plot and say, well, this doesn't work, or you should change this, or this character would be better suited as a male or a female, that kind of thing. You're going to get that from a traditional publishing house. You may not get that. Uh, I'm not going to say you won't, but you may not. You have, a, you have a less of a chance of getting that same level of scrutiny from an independent editor. Uh, I, I don't know if that's the case. I mean, I've, I've worked with professional editors who really are frustrated writers themselves, and what they're looking for is for someone else to come up with the idea so that they can then comp- and and to do the work so that they can, can then completely rewrite your piece right uh, like completely rewrite it like 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 to put the two next to each other there is no semblance that they were ever the same work of art I'm, right and i'm i am absolutely positive those people are out there i've yeah. read quite a bit of self published work i haven't been impressed yet and I, I, I sound like such an ass. I really do, and I don't mean <laughs> to. I, I really do. But all right, so I'll, I'll pull some examples. E.L. James, who wrote Fifty Shades of Grey, yeah. and Amanda Hawking, who was a, a urban fantasy science fiction writer. Both of them self-published authors originally. And as soon as they were offered the book deal with traditional publishers, they took them. I think Amanda Hawking was $2 million, and she was making a heck of a living self-publishing, probably more than what she'd be making from a traditional publishing oh, house. Oh, for certainly more, because Absolutely you and more, I both because, know that. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're gonna, you control the profit that comes directly to you, and you don't have to worry about paying, paying off those editors and those cover designers and all that. You know, that's, that's all you. But they took the publishing deals because wire distribution, um, you know, and, and I, I like to think that they did it because they can say, I'm a published author. You know, she, uh, Amanda Hawking in particular is represented by the Axelrod agency. I've pitched them and have been rejected. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, and, and, you know, I've, I've got 16 rejections under my belt. And for that, I feel like a real writer. You know, someone, wow. someone read my query and said, nah, it's not for me. Uh, but because of those rejections, it makes me want to work that much harder to either. I mean, that's, that opens up a whole nother level of conversation right there. I mean, I mean, seriously, that's a whole nother show that we could talk about, about how, how, you know, dealing with rejection, dealing with failure and, and how you can have two approaches to that, right. That either it can stop you or it, it can make you work harder. Right. You know, that, Oh, of course. And I, I knew going in, because I wanted the traditional publisher, I knew I was going to be rejected. I, yeah. I walked in expecting every agency I queried to just automatically send me, nope, not for us. And, and because of that, I feel like I've braced myself enough. It hasn't turned me off. It hasn't, it hasn't said to me, ah, forget it, I, I'm never going to write again. If they don't understand my genius, no one will. And that's not how I viewed it. You know, every rejection is one more opportunity to refine the book and send it back out. 
Yeah. Well, and, you know, it kind of goes back to this idea, and I can't remember who, where I heard the quote or whatnot, but it, uh, that uh, amateurs push themselves to the to the point of success. Professionals push themselves to the point of failure. Um, oh, I like and, that quote. And 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 you know because you know the failure is what is which what teaches them how to go beyond that next time, right? You know that uh, that if you just stop at success, well, you'll never you'll never learn how to push past it, right? Um, and I, and right. I think that uh, um, I think there's something to that, but I mean there is then you know so okay fine you've made your argument there, there is then the model for instance that I you know, participate in, you know, which is, um, a, you know, basically, uh, I like to call this model, the micro, the micro publisher prop, um, model because it, um, uh, it, uh, no, I don't, cause there's not a better word I can think of. Um, and cause it needs to be separated and that is this, right. I write the book. I have a publisher, that publisher has, a, you know, a, an editor and a designer, just like a traditional major publisher would, right? And um, and the designer for designing the cover and the book and things, and dealing with kind of the design aspects. The editor for all of those traditional things. The publisher for doing that work. But here's the difference: the difference is is that their cut comes from from the sales of the book as well. Right. So, okay. uh, um, so everyone is therefore invested in making sure it's a great, you know, that, that it's, that it's good. Right. Because mm-hmm. if it's not, and it doesn't sell, nobody makes money. The publisher doesn't, the editor doesn't, you know, unlike a, a, a publishing company where you know the editor is on is on the clock, you know they're getting a paycheck, right? The designers on the clock, they're getting a paycheck. It doesn't matter if the publisher sells three million copies of your book or or one, you know they're they're getting their paycheck. They're you know they're hired. They're on the clock. You know what's nice about this model is that everybody is invested in making sure that it's a, as good of a product as possible and it sells as well as possible because that's the only way they make money. Thoughts? Hmm. I like that model. I think that's that's a great idea. Is everybody has a stake in in the success of your book, and that's that's what I'm I'm hoping for with the the traditional publishing model. You know, mm-hmm. everybody's working towards the same goal. Everybody wants you to sell millions of copies because everyone gets the bills paid, and that's that's terrific. And that's motivation. If you're paying a one time fee for an editor or whatever. They've made their money as soon as they've done a first pass over your manuscript, whether they missed something or not. But if they've got an investment in, in you then and you're successful, then they do well, and then they'll want to come back to you to do it again. Amen. Yeah, see? And, and this is the reason why I think that this is such a, a, a great thing, because I think that this new world that we're in from a publishing perspective opens up the opportunity to try a lot of these different models, right? Um, and if you know, figure out what works best. And for some people, that might not work, right? For some people, you know, I mean... Because, for instance, if I was, you know, just some Joe schmuck off the street, you know, with some, you know, poor idea for an even more poorly written book, 
Well, I mean, the publisher would be like, eh, there's, you're not, not only am I not going to make any money off of this, you're not going to make any money off of this. The designer, the editor, they're not going to make any money off of this, right? You right. know, so it's up to everyone to make it worth everyone else's time, right? Oh, of course. Um, and, and, yeah, yeah, not to kind of keep harping on about, you know, Gorak challenge or whatnot, but, <laughs> you know, but, but one of the things that, 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 uh, you know, many of the cadre say in, in their, you know, kind of speeches before you get started, which is, you know, look to the left of you, look to the right of you. This is not about you. This is about them. It's not your job to get yourself through this. It's your job to make sure they get through this and to help them out because that's the essence of teamwork, right? right. And in that model, they are doing, you know, the, the, you have two people on either side of you whose job it is to do that for you, right? And thus, everybody wins. Everybody is, 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 uh, has the same stake in each other. Um, and, you know, if you quit, you're as much quitting yourself as you are quitting them. Now they have one less person to help get them through this. You know what I mean? Um, and I think that the similar thing works in that kind of model, is that, you know, is that it's not necessarily just my job to you know put a great book out there and make money or whatever. But if I don't do my job of making sure that I've written a book that will sell um, and that people will buy and that people are interested in and is compelling in this, that, and the other, I'm letting a whole team of people down. And if the editor doesn't, you know, doesn't do their job of making sure that, you know, it's, it's well-written and well-crafted and no typos and, you know, things have been challenged, well, then guess what? That book's going to be, a, you know, it's going to be crap and it's not going to sell. And now she's let everyone down. You know what I right. mean? And you're, and you're also, you're Patrick Roan. You have a voice. You have a, a particular uh, the way about you that people who listen to the podcast and read your writings know, and so I understand. I understand why you went the the self publishing or micro publishing route. It worked for you, and the type of book you wrote. It's a great book. It's possible that a, a publisher might have looked at it and said, "Ah, oh, we've got enough of those. We're not going to publish this one." Oh, there's or, no, there's no question about it. Yeah. Or and and I when I would listen to um, Back to Work with Merlin Mann, he would talk about when he was writing the um, the Inbox Zero book. The editors mm. kept coming back and saying, well, we thought this was going to be about email. And he's like, well, it's not just about email. It's a whole philosophy. And they would change the whole meaning of the book. And, you know, mm-hmm. Merlin Mann is, is not one to change. You don't change Merlin Mann's meaning. But <laughs> that's just not how it works. So mm-hmm. I, I can understand, you know, you guys need that that level of control because this is your book, your message that you're putting out there. Yeah. It's also – the. It, well, and and that that it, and just to point out, what we're selling, you know, in Merlin's case, I'm sure this, I'm sure he would agree with this as well. What we're selling is about so much more than the book, because what's helpful to people is about so much more than the book, right? Right. That is, it is. It's the message that we're selling. It's the idea that we're selling, right? Right. The the the, the book is just a delivery platform for the thing we're really selling, right? Um, and I, I think that, um, that that's a hard thing for a lot of publishers to wrap their head around. 
Right, because right? they're they're they do look at the bottom line. Is this yeah. is this a market that is selling right now? Is this something I can I can make standees for that'll sit in front of Barnes and Noble and people will pick up and buy? Or is this something I'm just doing because you know I I kind of like the book or I like the guy? I mean that's it's it's a numbers game for them. Yeah. Well, and and I think that. You know, and I, while I think that there's a place for that, I know that I, I don't belong in that place, right? In, in, in the same way that, that Merlin quickly found out that he didn't belong in that place, you know? Right. But you also- and, and not to say that it's a bad place to belong, I mean, because some people do, right? Yeah, I mean, you obviously feel that you do. I hope so. I hope I belong there. I haven't found a place where I belong yet, so. <laughs> but yeah. I, I, I feel like, you know, you're, you're already... You never. Ma- I don't feel that you ever master a craft, but you you get damn good at it, and you keep learning. But you've gotten to a point where you can put out a book, and with the help of the editors and the the copywriters and everybody you've worked with, you can put out something that might as well have been published by a traditional publishing house. It might have might as well have been put out by Penguin or Harcourt or whatever. Well, and that's my goal is I want to make it look like something that you know. I mean, because the fact is, is I do put these. You know, in some of the independent stores around around the city, you know, we'll we'll consign these, and I want it to look just as good as any of the other books that are out there. Right? right. You know, it's going to sit when next it, to them on a shelf somewhere. Exactly. When it comes to fiction, which is where my 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 focus is, I've I've seen a lot of self published fiction is from people. It comes from people who don't have that mastery yet. They don't have that level of call it education call it hours put in they haven't paid their dues they haven't you know they they don't have that the technique down yet so they they put out these half-arsed stories that may sell well but they're not terribly good i would love to have seen if 50 shades of gray had been picked up before it got popular or had been pitched earlier on you know it wasn't even self-published because I feel like it was written the way it was and left the way it was because people had already read it. And mm. because of that, they couldn't take a chance editing it and fixing it and making it a better, uh, a better book because it had already had a wide audience and changing it would have, would have alienated them. Interesting. Interesting. Well, uh, we're going to have to wrap up here because you know, we've kind of gone a little bit over our... Let me know if you want to have that rejection sure. episode. I've got four years yeah. of high school to go into. <laughs> <laughs> That's something else, I think. Was, uh, I don't that know if it school, is. I, high school I think rejection. I, I, I think it's all all the same. I think it's all related. You know, um, But you know, then again, this show wouldn't even be here if I didn't think all of this stuff was related. I mean, that's kind of... You know, one of the things that I've tried to kind of put across over and over again is how interconnected this stuff all is. So, well, I really, I mean, this has just been a great conversation. Yes, um, great episode. So thanks Definitely, for, yeah. For being on, and I, I, I'm looking forward to having you on again. Um, once again, let's let people know where they can find you. I am on Twitter and app.net as HC Marks, and you can find me at curiousrat.com. And my podcast I co-host with two other friends, uh, In30.net, a 30-minute tech podcast. 
All right, terrific. And, uh, you know, I'm Patrick Roan, just about everywhere. Everyone knows that by now. Um, and, uh, you know, write daily at patrickroan.com, of course, millwillmac.com. And, Michael, where, where are you found? So I am on, on the social networks too. I am I Mike, I-M-Y-K-E. And uh, regular listeners will know that this show and all the other 70 decibel shows are going to be moving over to the 5x5 network. But I just wanted to mention that um, I have just taken over from Dan and Hattie their daily news show um, called The News. Um, mm-hmm. it's five to ten minutes every day. Um, and I will be doing that on a daily basis now. So if you want to get a roundup, of news and technology and, and uh, geek culture, go to 5x5.tv forward slash news and you will and, hear my dulcet tones every day. And and you've done a couple now so far and they've been great, so congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, two under the belt so far. It's, it's actually fun to, to, to listen to you stumble over uh, weird names of uh, people in tech. Don't even. <laughs> Don't even. One, the, today we had a guy who's just joined Amazon and his surname is Kindle, which I thought yes, was... Yes, yes. Are you yeah. kidding me? No, seriously. No. <laughs> wow. It's spelled K-I-N-D-E-L. That'll change. Bezos will have that change. Yeah. I, f- I figured that would do for me to pronounce it as Kindle. <laughs> yeah, I heard that today, and that was awesome. <laughs> it was also your reaction to it was awesome too. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, thank you for listening, Pat. Oh, no problem. I'll listen to anything you do. Plus, I mean, the other nice thing about that one is it's nice and short. I mean, yeah. it's designed to be like five or six minutes, and just kind of get the kind of high level news stuff out of the way. Yeah, I mean, it's, it will never be more than ten minutes between five and ten minutes each day. Yeah. Closer to five, the better. But thank you all for listening to this week's episode. Thank you, Harry, for joining us. It's been my pleasure. Been a pleasure to have you here. And uh, I guess that wraps it up for about for this week, Pat. Would you agree? I would. We'll chat later. We will. Cheers. Cheers. Bye bye.